Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who, in his work as a racetrack designer, always ensures there's convenient horse murder outlooks and overlooks r- around the track. Yeah, well, I'm the Adam Glass, and you never know when a young, promising horse has certain ideas about civil rights <laughs> that need to be put down Jesus. before he can be elected to office. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I made a horse assassination joke. Yeah, I'm going with it. <laughs> I, I, I'm proud of you, frankly. Now I'm imagining what if blowout were about the murder of a horse <laughs> instead of <laughs> that would be that movie would have been so so much better. And that horse was John F. Kennedy. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's just, you know, he's, he's he's trying to lead a horse revolution. He's trying to, like, uh, you know, a better path. Pat, before we get started this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Okay. We do a non-Criterion film each month. Supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. And uh, yeah, we have some some real fun with uh, people suggesting movies or uh, picking from my predetermined list. I love it when people suggest. Lists I love it when people say, then, pick from your pre predetermined li- uh, list because uh, you've described voting. Um. <laughs> that is voting. Voting is good. Everybody loves uh, to vote. That's the one thing we know in America. Right. Famous for wanting at least thirty percent of people love to vote. We're very grateful to all our one dollar supporters. Uh, but we're grateful to all our supporters. And a little above that, at $5, we thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Chris Otto, Andrew Jarrett, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Eric Coronado. Thank you all. Above that, we do something pretty dang special. Uh, for our $10 and above supporters, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note to all of those supporters. I do do And that. we also like to thank them on air. Yes, we do. Thank you. So, you said doo-doo. I did say uh, doo-doo. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jason Westhaver, Nina Bajnak, Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, and Patrick Yako, our $10 and above supporters. If you want to check out those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. You can see our past postcards. I've got it pretty up to date at this point. Uh, buy them as postcards, as greeting cards, as... Uh, uh, pins, if the artworks works out. Uh, a couple of T-shirts when the ten artwork gallon hats for a T-shirt. Um, uh, unfortunately, no ten gallon hats. No. Uh, but yeah, uh, as stickers, as magnets, if you want to throw them on your fridge, assuming your fridge is magnetic. Turns out some fridges aren't mine's, magnetic. Mine's not. It's weird. Thank you so much to everybody who has purchased anything off that Red Bubble. Uh, thanks everybody who supported us on Patreon over the years, and thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you so much, Pat. What? We got a Stanley Kubrick film this week. Yeah, we. I mean, like, I guess so. 
Like, technically. <laughs> we, Pat, we've got two incredibly early Stanley Kubrick films this week. We have. Uh, what we have is being beaten over the face with noir is what we have. The most stereotypical <laughs> noir movies I've ever seen. We we do. Um, so uh, we've seen a couple Kubrick in the past. Um, Paths of Glory wasn't even all that long ago. His film from 1957, just after this, uh, was spy number 538 about a year ago. Uh, Spartacus, we saw longer ago than that. It was spy number 105. I forgot that we ago. watched Spartacus. Yeah. Um, eventually, we'll watch Dr. Strangelove, but that is still like six years away. And Barry Lyndon's on that list, too, at some point in the distant future. Uh, but for now, we've got The Killing from 1955. Uh, well, 1956, actually. Also on the DVD is a film from 1955, Killer's Kiss. Uh, a one-hour uh, noir as well that is... An interesting inclusion here. I'm glad that I'm glad that Killer's Kiss didn't get its own release. Yes. Uh, sometimes, sometimes when we watch a movie that's included as a bonus uh, on on the actual release, it feels like maybe that thing should be its own thing. Not this one. That is not true of Killer's Kiss. Killer's Kiss one is only an hour long. Two is sort of. An old shame of Kubrick. It's not one he especially liked. Uh, it's his second film, and both of his first two films are films he did not like to talk about. I well, here's that. Uh, what's funny about that is that like um, Killer's Kiss is significantly more visually experimental than The Killing. Yes. So it's fascinating that yeah. like I feel like There's... Killer's Kiss has more more Kubrick shit in it than yeah. The Killing, but he hates Killer's Kiss apparently. Is that what I'm so, hearing? So one reason, yeah, one reason for that. Um, well, okay, Killer's Kiss is a movie that has to be seen and has to be watched. Uh, it is not a really great plot. No. It is not no. really great acting nope. or really great dialogue. Nope. nope. But it is a visually stunning film. It is fucking, it is a uh, both a visual <laughs> feast and a weird one at that. I was like, when they <laughs> yes. go into the mannequin place, I was like, of course it's in a fucking mannequin studio for some goddamn fucking <laughs> yes. reason. Yes. Yes, the final fight in Killer's Kiss taking place in a mannequin manufacturer, apparently. Is, is uh, absolutely amazing, yes. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he shot that himself and had, had pretty free reign because he was making it himself. Uh, and then after it was close to being done... Um, I don't think from from initiation of the project, uh, but at some time during production, United Artists came on board and uh, gave him $100,000 to make the movie. And also stepped in editorially. Okay. Uh, the happy ending of Killer's Kiss is only because United I, Artists... I figured that. Well, I actually assumed it was just like yeah. Hayes Code nonsense. No, no. It was um Hayes Ghost nonsense would insist that someone who had created, committed a crime would would be punished, right? Well, yeah, but um, they they tried to but, do the uh, they tried to do the whole like excusing right, all the right, crime right. like right. cuz he right. basically fundamentally didn't commit any crimes according to the movie. Right. 
rest. Yes. Um, the police let him go at the end of the movie and then they reunite uh, and go off. Yeah. Uh, United Artists insisted on that. Um, but that established a relationship with United Artists uh, that led to the killing. And the United Artists, um, into the killing's interesting, pre-production-wise. Apparently, Frank Sinatra approached United Artists about adapting Clean Break by Lionel White into a movie. Okay. Which is the killing. What, what ultimately becomes the killing is an adaptation of Clean Break. Neither United Artists nor Frank Sinatra had actually bothered to get the rights to Clean Break what? by okay. Lionel White. What? Why? So, Why not just buy the rights? I don't understand. Yeah. So James B. Harris, the producer of this film, who had recently met Stanley Kubrick and decided that they needed to work together, uh, read the book, gave it to Kubrick. They both loved it. They're like, we got to make this movie. Uh, called up the publisher or Lionel White himself or whoever. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, Frank Sinatra was apparently wanting to make this movie, but he hasn't bought the rights yet. So you can have them for 10 grand. Uh, what a, what, that's all, that's also like, weird, though. Like, if I, I, it's also weird. I don't know. I don't know. What how a it all weird fucking maybe, like may, world. I don't. Maybe the rights owners didn't actually know that that United Artists and Sinatra were were interested. I don't know. I'm just anyway, trying to say about the like, we hate Sinatra. We fucking hate him. So yeah, <laughs> Harris somehow bought the rights out from under Sinatra. Weird. Uh, and then Harris called United Artists, and United Artists said. Okay, but Harris is like, hey, we're going to make an adaptation of Clean Break uh, with Stanley Kubrick. And they're like, okay, but we were going to we we're going to make a movie. <laughs> He's like, well, it's well, you tough, weren't because you didn't shit. own the rights. It's so uh, weird. Yeah. What a weird, yeah. weird thing to do. This is so <laughs> strange. Yeah. So so according to Harris in in the there's a bonus feature that's an interview with James B. Harris. According to Harris, United Artists response to finding out that uh he owned the rights to the to the novel and that Sinatra did not was uh okay, well if you get a script, we'd love to see it. <laughs> uh just totally not dedicated to the idea that we need Sinatra involved yeah. in this at all. Yeah. Which is which is as Harris points out. Uh, the movie's relationship to any production company at that point in time, any studio. <laughs> yeah. If you see a script, you want to see it? Yeah. I could take it to Warner Brothers too. Whatever. Um, but United Artists did come on board and produce the movie. Gave them $200,000. Uh, and it was apparently part of an agreement from Killer's Kiss was that they would uh, give $100,000 to Kubrick's next movie as well. Okay. Uh but they ended up giving two hundred. Uh, they were going to give more, but when Kubrick and Harris decided that the killing would star Sterling Hayden instead of anyone more famous than Sterling Hayden, uh-huh. United Artists cut back the the budget to two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. At which point, Harris decided that they could not make the movie they wanted to make for that much money. That if they attempted to make the movie they wanted to make for that much money, it would look like garbage and ruin both their careers for the entirety of their lives. Right. 
Uh, so he borrowed a bunch of money from his dad, raised a bunch of money on his own, and uh, ended up uh, with a total budget of about $330,000, including the United Artists money and what he raised. Uh, that did not give them carte blanche. No, that wouldn't. That would <laughs> United Artists still stepped in a couple of times. Uh, United Artists, one, suggested the name change to The Killing. Uh, that was not something they had come up with on their own. What was the name of the original? Um, I've already forgotten the name of the original uh, story. Clean break, Clean break was the name of the original. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. like, The Killing, we, we're in a weird place here because Clean Break is useless as a title. Can't understand what the fucking movie's right. about. The Killing is way yeah, but- too dramatic for what happens in this movie <laughs> in many ways. What's the titular killing? I think the is horse. Is it the amount the, of money no, they're the, going to steal? Horse. Is it the horse it's, murder? It's fucking the is horse murder. In my mind, I can't yeah. imagine it being anything but the horse murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, like, it, the problem um, is, is that the movie does, I mean, the movie legitimately suffers from, like, serious, I think, serious storytelling problems. But one yeah. of them being that, like, the killing could be the guy, the, 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 the sort of cucked man at the end just going fucking nuts, right? Yeah. But, like, it doesn't center him as a character to enough to make that the killing. The only thing no. that gets killed that is truly dramatic, like, it's truly, like, really major to the plot is the fucking horse. I guess you're right. It could be yeah. the take, right? It could be the amount of money they're going to make. Yeah. But then do they ever refer to it as a killing? Like, do they ever say, like, oh, we're going to make a killing on this? Not to my memory. Yeah, me neither. Not to my memory. Because I would have done the James yeah. Bond thing had it um, <laughs> yes, had that yes. happened and, and and freaked out for no reason. Oh my god, they said the title. Yeah. Um right. Every time I hear someone in a movie say I can't, the it's, title it of the is movie. The fastest way to take I, me out of the movie is to yeah. say the title of the movie yeah. in your movie. Even if you, like obviously you can get away with certain things, right? If your movie's got an extremely innocuous name, like Right. Yeah. I always think of the uh Mystery Science Theater episode on I Accuse My Parents. Okay. Where the lead character says I accuse my parents, and I think Crow says we have a title. Uh, <laughs> every time I think about they that. do that multiple uh, times. And I don't remember uh, thinking about Mystery that. Science Theater yeah. does that. At least my memory oh, yeah, is of doing that all the time. It's like ah, finally, we, because it's like a hallmark of of shit yeah. movies, right? But like and James right, Bond, right, right, which right. are also shit yeah. movies, but whatever. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think they use the word. The a killing to describe the take, right? And so that gets even to. more like uh, it's up to us, apparently. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, the idea of the final murder of George killing his wife Sherry as the titular killing uh, would make sense if they had stuck closer to the novel. Okay. Uh, in the novel, George still somehow survives the shootout that gets the money. Uh, into Johnny's hands alone. Uh, but instead of going and murdering his wife uh, as revenge for her uh, not only cheating on him, but also betraying the entire conspiracy, right. um, George ends up killing Johnny, the main character. Okay. So the entire third act of the movie. See, that's uh, real. That's actually really movie, interesting instead. Yeah. It's way better than the actual movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the ending on the movie where Johnny survives and we do the whole airport 
comedy. The airport scene happening. is so fucking sad and bad. like it's such a bad scene. Like you see it coming from a million miles away, and you're like, "Why is this fucking happening? <laughs> why is like, why are you doing this to me, um, movie? Why do you actively hate me, the audience? I need yeah, to know." Yeah, especially especially how long the stuff with the dog is telegraphed. I know you're like you see it coming from like eight miles away. And you're like, yeah. "Fucking hell, yeah. just gir- hurry I, it up." I do think it's hilarious. Oh, it's hilarious. But, I also, but it's like hilarious is not not how this movie should. This end. is like so. this is like comedian making a, an action movie level bullshit. Like this is not yeah, what you're getting. Yeah. Like the movie has, for the most part, been, like I said, by the numbers, but very much a noir, right? Like it, it, they they like yeah. we've got the fucking like, like all the movies. Both movies we watched are almost comedically noir. Um, in yeah. the fact that like they have active voiceover narration, yeah. like from the so, main character, it, it's they're they are ridiculous so the, anyway. But yeah, so so one of the other United Artists intrusions was the narration in the killer. Oh really? Why? Um, Why do it? The movie would actively be yeah, better without cut- it. Like legitimately, the movie would be better yeah. without it. And Kubrick absolutely hated that he had to put it in. Uh, which is why the narrator is also sometimes wrong. It, it plays off like it might be dramatic irony, right? When when the narrator's wrong, but but the reason the narrator is wrong is because Kubrick held the entire concept of the narrator in contempt. Well, I mean, if the narrator were, I my my thing is like, if the narrator were always actively wrong all the time, that would be kind of amazing, right? Yeah. Like that at that point, you've crossed over, right, you've, right, right. you've you've hit some sort of like new new yeah. thing entirely so, but the, the narrators like i i hardly even noticed when the narrator was wrong like it just didn't even like yeah click for me so presumably the narrator exists because united artists was concerned about people understanding the time jumps in the movie okay where we go because every you know we watch each character sort of Almost Rashomon style. We watch each right. character go, go through, through the their entire yeah. part of, yeah. Well, the thing about through that is, is moments. that like the narration doesn't make that better. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? The narration <laughs> no, does. Doesn't. Like, it uh, is slightly confusing. Like the first time it happens, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I get what's right. going on here. We're fine. Yeah, uh, exactly. And especially when you yeah. when you especially as they layer it on, probably to a certain extent, like that's told in the right order. It's not like it's in the wrong order, but like. Certain scenes are easier to pick out because um, you can actually hear the same events yeah. happening. Like, for example, the police officers a bit can be a little bit challenging because there it doesn't contain any of the things that are present in the other stories. Right. Right. The police officer is the one where we have set up, uh, but we can't have payoff yet. So we don't get the payoff of the police officer until he's telling his part to the rest of the gang later which is right? kind of would have been is um, also interesting right which is fine as a like yeah. a device and you could just like leave it at that right like you just like what was, what the hell was that police officer thing and then later on you get the the nice like reveal of like oh like he was actually key to yeah. a huge portion of the success of this this venture right i i did think in in the scene where johnny throws the money out the window uh-huh. uh i suddenly had a vision of this as uh the the idiots foil their own heist of like big deal on Madonna Street 
and just have the money land on the cop and kill him? Would have I I was thinking the same. Just, you know, I I did him? I did think about some of the <laughs> the comedic potential uh, of the of the duffel bag flying out yeah. the window, or like the duffel yeah. bag that just bought a shitty one and it breaks as soon as it hits the ground, and yeah. it's like the the movie's over. It's like a cop is just chasing money or, around the streets of the city or whatever. Right, right, right. Uh, it was too early for the for the people chasing. Yeah, money I mean, yet. but it is a anyway, missed opportunity. Um, I'm just saying, you could have paced the movie different yeah. had that be like the end of the movie. Yeah, Harris mentions that they had a pre-screening in L.A. where the audience reacted incredibly negatively to the uh, to the time frame elements. Okay. Uh, so he and Kubrick spent a couple of days in New York trying to recut a chronological order version of this movie. It's, that would be a uh, mess, though. <laughs> which, one, was a mess, and two, they realized while doing that, that the thing that attracted them to Lionel White's novel Clean Break to begin with is that that framing and that uh, structure element exists in the book. Right. Uh, And they wanted that. See, my my problem is, like, it doesn't seem like it's that hard of a problem to solve. Like, not to be overly simplistic, but there's a thing called title cards. (laughs) Right, right. Well... Uh, well, it, it would seem that United Artists, uh, but, like making the audience read, was a thing called a narrator who uh, is a pain and in the, the narrator. ass. The narrator is an active <laughs> pain in my ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, so another reason that Killer's Kiss is more visually Kubrick than The Killing is that uh, in being a major studio production with a relatively normal budget. Uh-huh. Uh, the killing had to have a cinematographer. Okay. The cinematographer's union would not let Kubrick shoot his own movie. Okay. At least not yet. <laughs> Presumably, eventually, that doesn't <laughs> that becomes less of a problem. Um but yeah, so Lucian Bollard was brought on as cinematographer, and Kubrick and Bollard hated each other. Okay, let's be very clear here. My impression from every story I've ever heard is you can just like essentially like tag that on to the description of how Kubrick gets along with literally every human being. <laughs> right, right, right. Every everybody and Kubrick have a. Uh, uh, not great. Yeah, have a contentious relationship. The man does not get along. Did not get along with anybody ever, as far as I can tell. That's just yeah. the rule. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah. <clears throat> Bollard shoots this film and is constantly at odds with Kubrick. Now, there are things that Bollard brings to this film uh, that are pretty great. Uh, his lighting of the interiors in this movie are uh, what gives it its noir. I mean, and feeling, it's it's really. good. Like, I mean, the movie is is in. We were talking about visually stunning, and like you kind of have like two different versions of that, right? Like because the kill, yeah. killer's kiss is visually stunning in the in the sort of experimental elements of like, yes, the way Kubrick chooses to to convey information about how people are feeling and stuff like that with these really intense mm-hmm. sort of like almost like. Um, psychedelic scenes and stuff like that, but yeah, the the killing is like in 
some of those shots are really beautiful. Like legitimately yeah. like Oh, absolutely. Nice to look at. Um especially as we get yeah. as things sort of get darker at the end of the story. Like it like Absolutely. Things those lighting gets darker. It's really it's really interesting. Yeah. And there's some real like classic more interior like the bus station stuff. Everybody in the bus station is is very it's very it's shot how a noir should be shot, right? right? But but really well. Um but yeah. So uh Bollard brings that sort of noir uh resume too. He's shot noir before, he'll shoot shoot more noir after. Um but his career is much, much wider than that. Uh he you know, he he'd been working since uh 1935 right so wikipedia's list uh, list for his filmography first says partial uh but the first one listed is von sternberg's 1935 version of crime and punishment okay uh which we've not seen but bet it looks great right uh um but yeah uh so yeah he'd done i'm pretty sure he'd done some some noir before this, but he'd actually done a lot of westerns. It looks like just prior, prior to this in the early fifties, like you said, um, Kubrick, Kubrick not being able to work with anyone, particularly. Kubrick is one of those guys who really uh, defines autorship, right? Right. Of having complete control. An interesting thing about what Harris talks about in his bonus feature is that killer's kiss is Kubrick with total control. Okay. And one of the reasons, one of the things Harris brings to the table besides just money, uh, is he's able to approach Kubrick and say, I'll help you out. So you don't have to do everything. Now, presumably the everything, the, the part of everything that Harris is doing is more behind the scenes. Right. Right. Um, and he's partially involved with casting in the killing. Um, the Kubrick, he does say Kubrick did a lot of that, mostly because all the character actors who, who, uh, um, make up the cast are people that Kubrick knew personally. Right. Um, and so... So it frees it frees Kubrick to maybe be more of a jerk to Lucian Bollard too, right? Right, right. Know, maybe, uh, but yeah, right. I mean, like, yeah. The, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, this is a famous thing about Kubrick. That's like, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's not surprising that even in his like earliest films, he's just a nightmare to work with. But um, I mean, yeah. The the result though is it's fascinating because. The the biggest thing that sort of defines the difference then in this is the fact that like somebody like United Artists still has the power to tell him no or to like make yeah. active aggressive changes. Which is a thing that sort of yeah. disappears from his career as time goes on, right? Like I I'm right. I'm not like that up on his career. Like I don't like um I've I've heard stories and like I they're sort of disjointed in my mind, but like you know, I've heard about like, you know, so, you know, some of those movies took just fucking unbelievable amounts of time to make and a lot right. of the reasons why is because like well no one can tell him no you can't do it that way anymore 
And so, yeah. like, huge amounts of money and time end up getting spent on seemingly things that, like, aren't really that important to, like, making the movie, at least as far as, like, what most people would say. And, and like, you know, the thing about these sorts of productions and stuff and, like, things that are this as massive as a film being made is that, like, you can't ever really be sure that, like, all the time that was spent on X actually paid off. In the, you know what I mean? Right, like, right. it's always gonna, your the results are always gonna be nebulous as they relate to like the the process. Like, you know, there's like good and bad processes that can be put into place, but like, okay, well, he spent this much time and money on this little thing that seems kind of not that significant. Well, was that important to the film coming together or not? Like, that's hard to say, right? Like, it's not an easy yeah. thing to define. Um, yeah, another interesting aspect of that with regards to the killing is that uh, the booklet for this release contains a short interview with uh, Marie Windsor, who played um, played George's wife, uh-huh. uh, played Cherry. And her talking about the movie um, seems to anticipate, I don't know, the, as it is presented in the booklet, it is edited from an interview given. Uh-huh. So I don't know what editorial decisions were made. Um, but it seems like in part of the conversation, uh, Kubrick's frequent takes, uh, multiple takes was brought up. Uh, and Windsor says that the killing was shot in 21 days and that she does not recall anything they did more than twice. Okay. Uh, so... We're also at a point in Stanley Kubrick's career where maybe he himself does not feel like he has the power to. Right, exactly. Be an there's, there's, perfectionist. there's a lot of like that. That's what I'm talking about. Is like we're. I think in many ways this is notable because he's still essentially under control, like at least somewhat. Like he's yeah, right. something, and someone is able. Like things are able to rein him in and keep him from going, sort of surrendering to his like darkest impulses as far as like as a filmmaker and that's not necessarily <laughs> right, a good right. thing right because this movie is you know mediocre right like it is not an amazing movie like we we've talked about some things that are like are amazing about it but it's not at its core like the greatest movie i've ever seen or anything like that you know it, it's never and so you you kind of wonder like well you know if does is not allowing him to surrender to his darkest impulses like not necessarily a good thing for the movie, but not again. Some of the ones he's made when he could do whatever he wanted were not great either. You know what I mean? Like he's one of those. He's just one of those artists where, like, you know, sometimes it's the best thing you've ever seen, and sometimes it's fine yeah. or even actively yeah. unpleasant. <laughs> um. So I I don't know. It it's just a it's an interesting thing because it 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 feels like a sort of time capsule in that sense because. You know, oh, somebody could make him add narration. Like, that's not a thing anybody could do to a Kubrick film at this point, right? You, you know what I mean? Like, that's right. not a thing that could ever happen again. You know, you know, I mean, obviously. But, like, yeah. You know, it, I don't know. It's just it's just a weird thing. I don't know. Um, like, I mean, obviously, yeah. it could... I mean, obviously, it can't happen again because for obvious reasons. But, like, <laughs> my point is that as the as his career went on... That became less and less a thing that could ever happen. Um, again, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I wonder how much 
James B. Harris exercises over Kubrick at this point. Because they only made three films together. Right. This, Paths of Glory, and Lolita. And they didn't work together after that. Now, the way Harris talks about them, things ended amicably enough. They uh, seem to have remained friends, at least the way Harris talks. He doesn't. He has nothing negative to say about Kubrick. Um, but I would, I'd say Kubrick certainly gets more bombastic after Lolita. Right. Um, well, uh, and moving forward, right? But I don't. I, I seem to recall reading or hearing at some point that, like, I don't know if it would be Harris or who it would have been, but I do. I, I do remember reading that, like, he scared off there. Some of those movies, like the budgets, just started getting like absolutely outrageous, and the timeline started yeah. getting so bad that, like, it scared off multiple people who had previously been willing to invest in his films, which, like, I, we can't, like, can't spend this. We can't. Why? Why is this movie taking nine years to make? Kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, not for nothing. I uh, mentioned Lolita. They did not work together again after Lolita. I uh, cannot know why. But in 2020, somebody who was very good friends with Sue Lyons. Uh, who is the female star of Lolita, uh, accused James Harris of having a sexual relationship with Sue Lyons during production of Lolita when Lyons would have been 14. Jesus Christ. Uh, Harris was asked about it and refused to confirm nor deny uh, whether or not it happened. Uh, So... I don't know how great a guy Stanley Kubrick was on that end of things either, but uh, if it had happened, yeah, that's, that's why some they had dark a falling shit. out. Yeah, uh, that's some dark shit. <laughs> don't want to speculate on that end. Just into, uh, yeah, just uh, a thing that is true uh, is that that accusation stands, and they didn't work together after right after that movie. Um, but yeah, uh, this interview, um. It wasn't until 2020 that those allegations were made public. Anyway, uh, so uh, this interview was certainly done before those allegations came out. Um, Harris is still alive, though. So that that at least is a thing. Um, but yeah. So, uh, yeah. That that really brings the brings yeah. the podcast to a crash. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like ac- accusations. Of, yeah, that, that I mean, like yeah. that's yeah. I mean, but like God, man, we've when you really think about like the 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 podcast we've been doing for so long, right? And you start to like think about the fact that like, yeah. damn, like we can we encounter this so often. It's like kind of like wow, man, what a fucked up industry. Yeah, it is. Like uh, yeah. so often you know, we talked. We talked about Lolita fairly recently too, yes. uh, with the uh, with the Louis Mall films, um, regards to Dzazi Donzelanetro, and a little bit with Black uh, Black Moon as well. Um, but yeah, that's just that's it's whole. <sighs> we don't need to relitigate it. 
Um, yeah, we we, we had we back. had the conversation <laughs> about that back then, but just a couple of weeks ago. Just uh, just go listen. Um, but yeah. Um, an inter- another interesting thing that makes Killer's Kiss more. I guess out there, Kubrick wise, um, more Kubricky, uh, is that it kind of had to be. Um, our DVD also has an interview with uh, Jeffrey O'Brien uh, talking about Killer's Kiss, particularly, and O'Brien calls calls the movie a sort of student film. It was made for about forty thousand dollars. Um. And he talks about he talks about the limits that the movie puts on put on Kubrick because of how low the budget was. Uh-huh. Mainly that Kubrick couldn't be as controlling because he had to shoot in public. And one that makes place pretty important to the movie. Mm. You know, we're shooting on Times Square. And we're guerrilla shooting on Times Square. He didn't have money for permits. Right. Uh, and that makes accident, you know, and, and, and just the nature of shooting in public uh, introduces chance that right. the, Kubrick it's a, it's would a spend non, the rest of his it's career. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's an environment Basically that can't fundamentally be controlled control. in that way. Yeah. Killer's Kiss is also the very last time in his entire career that Kubrick would write his own script from scratch. Every other film he makes is an adaptation. Okay, yeah. Um, obviously, him, he's still principal writer on adapting most of them. Right, and, and a, but, a lot of them contain pretty phenomenally significant changes from the original yeah. text yeah but uh but given the plot of killer's kiss uh it seems like Kubrick recognized one of his weaknesses because <laughs> um, it's not great right uh, it's um you were talking before we recorded that you felt like you maybe had seen killer's kiss before, oh right yeah i forgot to bring that up was just so so I I don't so familiar, I don't know right? if it's crib from another work or another work cribs from it or what, but like the entire setup of um the I don't know that I've seen Killer's Kiss because like the visuals are not necessarily familiar to me, but the entire setup yeah. of the 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 um I've forgotten the names of all the characters, so you you'll have to forgive me. Like um the mean leading the sort of leading actress in the film, like her her story Gloria Gloria okay. Yeah, her yeah. family story, I swear to God, I've heard. Like, the whole, like, oh, well, you know, my father loved my older sister more. She was the darling of the family, and she she was beautiful ballet dancer, just like our mother. And then, like, he got sick, and she was, like, got the whole marriage, and then, like, her killing herself as soon as, like, she doesn't need to be in that marriage anymore. Yeah. Like, all that, that story, I swear to God, I've heard that st- story verbatim before. Yeah. And I have no I idea think where. Of where that might feel familiar no particularly. Well, it wasn't even familiar. Like it was but like I, beat for beat. Like I'd heard the exact like yeah. I obviously not necessarily the words because like I don't fucking know yeah. what words I heard. But like I could 
predict what was going to like in that little sequence predict what was going to happen next yeah extremely reliable well, it's also it's kind of a cliched story. it is a cliched story but you like know. i mean the de- the problem was that the details the the problem for me was the fact that like right, right, the right. details were exact and i was like this is why do i know like this story so well and like i knew the boxing part too like it it yeah. Like I knew like the first like ten like the maybe like the first half an hour of the movie. I had no idea what was gonna happen after that. Like once I got out of the first like thirty minutes of the movie, I was on my own. I had no idea. But the first like thirty minutes of the movie, it was like, I've I know this story. This is weird. And I still cannot resolve what the fuck is going on. I have no clue. <laughs> it's f- yeah. it, and, and, while you're why your brain thinks that? Yeah, it's yeah, and it, and it didn't feel like um, deja vu. It felt like oh, you know this story well enough to like you could just tell this story. It, it's I I'm I really wish I yeah. had been able. I I brought it up to you because I was like, well, maybe Adam remembers. Maybe some movie we watched for the collection had the exact same like setup or something. And you said no. Yeah, and I, can I like now I'm even more lost because like, I don't fucking know, man. Like it's really like yeah frustrating. Until this passes from memory, I will remain a little freaked out. Like I'm like I and I understand that the story yeah. is is cliched. My problem was is it's not just like oh this is a cliched story I've heard before. It's like no I've I know what's going to happen. Um, it's really freaky. I did not. It was a very unpleasant experience in the end. I was like I don't like what's happening here. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. Uh, well, uh, that will never know, why, know. Don't know why you thought that. Don't know why your brain broke. Yep. I don't uh, know. It's a mystery, but it's going to remain a mystery. Yeah. But yeah, uh, like I said, uh, Killer's Kiss is the last movie Kubrick sort of writes himself uh, from from his own imagination. Uh, the Killing, uh, then he is credited as screenwriter, uh, but Jim Thompson <laughs> would be mad about that. Right. Um, uh, Jim Thompson was a noir writer, um, hardboiled detective stuff. Uh, I've never read anything of his. Uh, seems like he was one of the most sort of out there sorts of guys. Uh-huh. Like, uh, not in the reactionary way of like Kiss Me Deadly and the author of that who uh we we talked expensively in in the episode of uh how Mickey Spillane was Oh yeah, I remember that yeah, I... in a lot of ways. Um but yeah, uh Jim Thompson uh wrote dark books. Right. Um and that attracts a lot of people. But O'Brien, one thing O'Brien says in his bonus feature, um, or not O'Brien, uh, O'Brien's the guy who talks about Killer's Kiss. Um, one thing Robert Polito says in his bonus feature on Jim Thompson in the DVD is that uh, most adaptations of Thompson's novels uh, end up as bad movies <laughs> because uh, the filmmakers are not good enough, I guess, to to convert what Thompson is doing in text to film in the right way. Right. right? Although, I mean, that seems like almost it's a sort of universal problem, really. Like, uh, making 
there's a sort of inherent sort of like, oh, well, you know, we'll just write this book as a mo- We'll just make this book into a movie. That most of the time goes bad. Like, it's just a sort of general rule. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, people are, tr- directors are attracted to Thompson's work because it seems like something that would work. It would be fun to make a movie yeah. with. And then they don't put enough work into translating it, is what Polito says. Uh, he does point out one one that does work uh, is uh, Coup de Torchon, uh, the Bertrand Travernier movie that we watched. That was Spine 106. It was right after we watched Spartacus, 105 and then 106, uh, many years ago, in which Thompson's uh, novel Population 1280, which takes place in... Uh, uh, takes place in Texas is transplanted to uh, French West, uh, French West Africa. Um, and I remember it being a very interesting movie and uh, in the bonus feature with Polito talking about it, they show some clips from it, just stills from it that I, I remembered, uh, but it's not a movie I've thought about <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, it was a long time ago. It was eight, eight to nine years ago that we watched it. So, uh, but yeah, Thompson's the sort of writer where uh, directors and Kubrick, notwithstanding, isn't just uh, attracted to the plot of the novels, but is attracted to the structure, the way Thompson writes, right. the way Thompson forms a story, the way he forms his chapters. Uh, one example that came up, I can't remember the name of the book, uh, but Polito talks about how the last few chapters of the book get more and more terse until there's like eight chapters on, on the page layout by the time we're at to the end of the book, uh, as characters are dying or just closing off. Um, which is sort of an experimental form when we're talking about what are essentially dime store crime novels, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So Thompson had been trying to get into, Hollywood since like the thirties. Uh, but Kubrick is the first time the killer or uh, not the killers. Uh, the killing is the first time he actually gets screenwriting work. And maybe that's another reason he was mad is because he's not actually credited as a screenwriter. Yeah. Him, I mean, that would right? piss me off. I, I mean, like that would been... be a, that would be, you would be pissed, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you're like, Oh, I put, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm actually surprised um, he wasn't more mad, in. frankly. Yeah, just getting additional dialogue. Um, Polito says that he doesn't know if Kubrick was at the screening where Thompson initially was angry, and he also reports this as Thompson family legend, essentially, uh, the way they talk about how he reacted. Um, but uh, but yeah, I imagine Thompson would have punched him out <laughs> if he'd actually been there. Right. Um, the way they the way they're talking about him reacting. Uh, interesting. Thompson also an older guy. Uh, and, uh, and Polito reporting how Thompson and his family reacted to Kubrick, uh, who at that point was like 27, right. maybe when they met, uh, they thought Kubrick was a young beatnik, uh, which, which is, seems kind of silly. Too. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's just, I don't know. It, it seems like just considering anyone younger and more liberal than, uh, than them as beatnik. I mean, that's a thing, Kubrick right? Like people, like whatever the sort of like <laughs> the the current like bugbear is like, oh, well, you just accuse everybody yeah. who's younger than you and liberal and like more 
liberal than you being whatever insert whatever thing we're calling them to th- these days. Yeah. Yeah. Polito says, I mentioned this earlier, that all of the changes from the novel to the movie would have qualified as additional dialogue. But the whole airport thing is additional s- story. Right. Uh, so I don't know, because of the contention here, whether Kubrick wrote that or uh, or Thompson wrote it. Right. Uh, or or how it came to be. Because um, it's more than just dialogue, right? Uh Right. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's a it's a radical change to the functioning uh, like the, the story of the of you know the story. Yeah. Um but the problem you right. run into is it's like, well, yeah, like who wrote that? But then also you get into sort of a question of like, well, like you know, they they the way they determine like writing credit and stuff in Hollywood is supposed to be pretty pretty specific. Um right. Not that it seems like it's always necessarily followed. Like as specifically as it's meant to be, but like, yeah, it really feels like you know that that's adding a whole section. But like, if everything else is basically verbatim, then it's sort of like mm, I don't know about like additional dialogue as a, yeah, I, I don't know, it, or you know, additional. What, I forget what exactly what you said it was, but additional something. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. additional dialogue. Yeah, it, it's 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 all kind of weird, but at this point, like. Who knows, right? And then, like, at this point, things are so far along, like, far away from that point that it's like, God, does it even matter anymore? The horse race scenes that start the movie uh-huh. and that we see cut back every every time we're at the horse track outdoors, um, it's actually filmed in San Francisco uh, because no New York horse track wanted to have a movie shot about them being robbed. Gotcha. Uh, no one, no one in New York would sign off on it, so they end up in the in San Francisco. Uh, they sent like a B crew out to record that, uh, and what they came back with was so boringly documentarian. Okay, uh, that Kubrick was not happy with it. Uh, it does seem like there weren't necessarily reshoots, though. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's one reason all of the horse race stuff looks like it's just stock footage. It's because it, it was essentially footage. shot as stock footage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was shot for the movie, so it's not stock footage, but it was shot like you would shoot stock footage. So, right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's. I don't know. This movie is so. It's so interesting. It's so wry. Uh, there's a lot of good humor in this movie. Um, there's a lot of just weird stuff in this movie. Why Timothy Timothy Carey's character is introduced holding a puppy? I don't uh, know. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, right? Where you're like, "What? What are we? Yeah, what are we doing here?" When the cop is calling in that his radio is broken as his alibi, and gets to talking to the dispatcher. And says the sixth one is always the hardest. Yeah, about his upcoming. Yeah, baby. it's so weird. <laughs> There's a lot of weird shit like One that. Little joke. Yeah, it, and it's and the entire. Go ahead. Please go ahead. No, 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 no. You, you please go ahead. Oh, the entire character of the chess obsessed wrestler played by uh, Cola Quariani, 
uh, is great. Um, <laughs> he's beautiful. Uh, obviously, when he starts the fight in the bar, uh, it's also just... It's just pro wrestling, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's somebody who's his shirts off somehow. Interview. Yeah, yeah. The cops tear his shirt off, and but but everything he says as like he's he's the smartest person involved with this conspiracy at all, right? Right. And he's and he's the guy hired to start a fight and be a wrestler. Um, uh. And what a fight sequence it is. It really is great. No, yeah, I uh, really I it is very it's very enjoyable. It is so silly. Yeah. Well that's the thing, right? Is the movie's really like confusing in that way, not like in a per se bad thing way or something like that. But just like the movie is so like it's got these weird it it wants to be both like hard boiled um like noir film and then also this. You know, it's it's a very strange yeah. like tonal shifts throughout the movie, and not like in necessarily like it's not just like bad or anything like that. Th- those things are actually kind of interesting. It's just like what is happening in this movie? I don't understand. Like why yeah. why it is the way well, it is? But I mean, I not in a bad. I like it, but yeah, it's, it's strange. I guess. Yeah, Johnny's motivation I don't really understand. Johnny's just got out of prison. He doesn't seem to have any reason to immediately start planning a big heist. I, well, I right? think I think we're supposed to just take it as really classic, like one big score, one final big score, and then I'm yeah. out, kind of kind of stuff, right? Like really, you know, basic. Yeah, but he never even expresses that directly. Right? No, no, I think and, like I don't really think he's meant to be. You're you're right. Like I I agree with you. It's just sort of like. He comes off as like we're supposed to already understand. I think that like that's yeah his character that like ah he's the he's the in the noir the one last big score guy right and then like you yeah. have to have him because you need the guy who has to assemble the team and then like I don't think the movie cares about him very much like I don't think that right. like Kubrick or anybody found him to be that fascinating of a character sort of on a on a core level. And so I think in many ways yeah. the goal is to like surround him with interesting people but he's just boring. Like in many ways, right? Like he's we don't really feel bad for him when his luggage explodes, right? Like there and, and I wonder if to a certain extent that's all sort of on purpose. It's like, oh, well we're going to make a character like sort of he's the main character quote unquote, but he's not not really, right? Like you know what I mean? Like he's not interesting that much. Yeah. We don't we don't really care what happens to him. We don't feel tense when he's at the airport. You know what I mean? Right. You're not sitting there going, Oh my god, I hope Gee. he I hope he makes it, I hope he makes it. You're like, I don't really fucking care about this guy. Right. <laughs> by by the time he's arguing with the desk clerk, I You're actively on the desk clerk. You know it's going to fall yeah, apart. Yeah, you A, you, you <laughs> yeah. know it's gonna fall apart, and you're actively on the desk clerk side. You're like yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. Like you can't check that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm on team desk clerk. It's just a silly argument. Yeah, no, it's like. Uh, uh, do you remember the uh, the Barry Sonnenfeld movie that got postponed after 9/11, written by Dave Barry? Uh, uh, Big Trouble. Oh, of course I do. Of course I do. Yeah, uh, and and how the criminals at the end of Big Trouble uh, go to the airport and they have. A nuclear bomb with them, right? Uh, that they don't actually realize is a nuclear bomb. 
so, and, and they're trying to they're trying to get on board the plane with it. So they just keep putting down more and more money on the counter right. until until the guy's like, "Okay, sounds great." Um, he doesn't even try that. He, like he doesn't. No, yeah, he doesn't guys. try to bribe him. Like, like we even see people doing bribes earlier. Like he's seemingly like hyper disinvested from his own scheme it's really interesting it's like i don't really know what his deal is yeah the fact that his final line is a what's the point as uh as faye tells him to run and we've got the police coming at him right uh well that's like to me though that's like the most human moment of his entire sort of right arc is like right it's the first time johnny out of anyone is human right that's like, what I george mean, yes, yes, yes. george wanting this money to impress his wife everybody else really we understand right yeah absolutely yeah the bartender wanting the money to take care of his sick, sick wife the cop wanting the money because he's a corrupt cop and he owes he owes a very polite loan shark a lot of money right <laughs> a very polite uh, loan shark who seemingly is be- planning to become less polite very yes soon. yes of course it's He's he's he. The loan shark is one of my favorite characters. He's, it's pretty good. He's just yeah, totally. He's very given giving and then just casually lumps another what four hundred dollars on on the money. Yeah, of, of course. You know, you know there are the the interest payments as interest. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So uh, you know, everybody else is that working class. One big score. This is going to get me out of my out of my problems. Right. Or right. Whatever the cops' debts are, be the gambling or whatever. Um, well, and it's it's telling that the Johnny, only one that you don't care about, like it's it, it's all very telling, right? Because um, it, yeah. it, in the sense that like everybody has their reasons, most of the people's reasons you feel sympathetic towards, right? Like you know you feel sympathy yeah. towards George, you feel sympathy towards the bartender, like they have legitimate problems that they that money would solve, right? That like we, we they are yeah prime examples of society has failed to provide in a way that would make it so they wouldn't commit a crime, right? Like, they are, right. you know, but, both of their problems are fixable by a, a reasonably functioning society, right? right. Whereas the cop but is just then, like, you don't have to feel bad for the cop either because the cop's just a piece of shit. <laughs> right. Cop, just, cop's a garbage cop. Yeah, he's just a corrupt uh, cop who's a piece of shit. Johnny, don't feel bad. So the fact, we're not, we don't really explore it in the movie, but the fact that Johnny is immediately starting to plan a new crime after getting out of prison for five years, right uh, right at the beginning of the narrative, suggests a cyclical career criminal nature for him where he can't get anything else. Right. Um, I imagine that if Sinatra had actually been in this role, uh, he could have coasted a lot better on charisma. Then Sterling hated ends up <laughs> right. Although I oh sorry uh, oh boy that was that was that was loud. Uh, on the other yeah. hand, that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Right. No, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have made this movie better. Um, and I I also imagine that the original Ocean's Eleven was uh in in some amount seeded here with right, <laughs> with right. Sinatra wanting to wanting to have played the guy who puts the whole conspiracy together for a heist movie. Um, well, it's such a uh, it's such an intensely then. self-centered kind of role, right? Like you, when you think yeah. about what that that character represents in the movie, it's like, oh yes, well he's the person around all around which all things have to hinge, yeah. and is therefore like not just the main character, but is like somehow like yeah. far beyond just main character, and 
having him in this would actually have made it so you are supposed to care about that guy and that's not that's not good yeah um so there is there is some amount of mirroring of the horse track in the uh in the airport of uh you know the the luggage carousel the the taxis going around outside when he's when he's outside um the dog running is reminiscent of the horses right. running, I guess. Uh, in that regard, there is a metaphor here, I suppose, of all of these career criminals, Johnny among them, but everybody, uh, being stuck in a rut, just running in circles. Right, right. They're all they're all working like horses on a track. Uh, you know. So, in that way, Johnny's end. His final, his final line. What's the point? Makes sense. Um, and everyone else has already escaped that endless loop by dying in the way that, in the way that the horse escaped right, that right, endless right. loop uh, by being killed by being shot to death. Uh, Johnny escapes that fate, but does not escape the circle. He's going back to prison. Definitely. Right. Right. And, and we get to have this sort of like conversation about like, which is the sort of better outcome in that situation. Like, is it better to right. be dead and out or alive and sort of stuck in the same, yeah. in, in the circle. And, and the sad part is George and the bartender, uh, not the cop, the cop deserves what he gets. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, but, and again, uh, the movie's, fairly clear about that the cop doesn't have (laughs) any sob story doesn't have any reason he's just a piece of shit yeah the working class guys who get caught up into this because they think they're going to get a score that's going to fix some of their problems uh they're not the ones who should be dying here johnny is the one who should be dying here and doesn't um so yeah that that i think is uh it's an interesting choice from a storytelling perspective one because the guy who gets all these guys killed is the only one who escapes right. without getting killed, right? He's arrested, but he's not killed. Um, and the wrestler. The wrestler escapes. The wrestler is paid for his job. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, well, makes provisions... Right. Makes provisions for his arrest, uh, but, uh, but presumably escapes without being murdered by the police. Right, yeah, I mean, that's... It's like sort of one of those fundamental, like... Um, He's well. Again, he's the he's the only one who is not seemingly necessarily permanently and like like a part of this world. You know what I mean? Like he's already out of the circle. Seemingly, he's just like doing a job, like a favor, basically, is what it amounts to. It's not even quite really a job, but he's being paid. But you get the impression he's doing it because this is a favor, not because he really needs to do the job. And he. He basically outright says, $2,500 is a lot of money, but, uh, you know, I do this sort of thing for free, right. more or less, you know? He's also saying that to try and get an actual cut of whatever the uh, right, right, yeah. I mean, he's, take is. And, but, and in many ways, not getting a cup is a, cup, a cut is what saves him, right? Like, in the sense right. that, like, Absolutely. he yeah. has no stake in the take on on the job so he's not like actively going trying to go like hunt it down and get it and so he can just right. like go to jail and walk away when that's done right 
Um, now, mind you, yeah. like they know he's part of, in some capacity, part of the conspiracy to to do this job because they're like trying to solve this, um, you know, this the like what ha- you know because yeah. like on the news and stuff they're like, oh, we don't know, we don't know anything, but like also presumably he he can handle police interrogation. It's just not going to matter. He's just going to right. Yeah, and also he doesn't know anything. Right. Well, that's the other thing is Johnny's he was purposely kept out of loop again, so, not being part of the of the yeah. of the scheme. Holcroft is going to say they don't him. mention. He's not mentioned on the news. No, 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 uh, no yeah, no. Nikki is mentioned on the news. the The horse assassination is tied to it. Right. Yeah. They, not, yeah. They don't. They don't the miss. They don't mention the bar fight at all. I guess that's true. Like in my mind, I was like, yeah. well, of course they're going to like link two and two together. Yeah. Like, there's no world where right. you don't. Um, link those together but i guess it's also possible also nikki's death has like multiple karmic things going on <laughs> like yeah immediately. there's a lot yeah uh yeah uh nikki murders a horse and then is stopped from escaping because of a horseshoe a horseshoe that uh, is there because his only way to make the murder happen <laughs> was to be yeah. a racist asshole. Um, yes, yes. Um, and presumably, we'll, we'll give Nikki the benefit of the doubt. There's there's some that, facial impressions uh, that imply Nikki did not. Yeah. Nikki. Want to do what Necessarily did. didn't want to do, but he did like pull a card that he knew would like end the conversation immediately. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't make it good, but we there's some a decent amount of acting happening there. That I think is meant yeah. to convey to the audience, like, hey, like, this guy's not necessarily, like, quote-unquote, a bad guy, per yeah. se. Also, also for how long he's on the screen, uh, James Edwards as the parking lot attendant, uh, phenomenal role mm-hmm. uh, for an African-American in 1955 in a bit part in a noir movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of fucking scroll. dialogue. Like, it's, uh, it's yeah. you're like, every time he shows up, you're like, well, you're kind of expecting it because you know he's going to ruin this. Like... <laughs> You yeah. you know from almost the minute you meet him, like you're like, okay, we have found the foil, right? Like we have figured out yeah. what's going to break this scheme. But you don't right. know and how I'm really glad. exactly. And you keep expecting right. him to show up, but you're like, but none of the times he shows up before, you're like, well, you're not like, okay, but he hasn't like ruined it yet. Like there's nothing has happened yeah. yet that's like makes this a failure. And so it's pretty interesting the way it actually ends up going down. Right, and the fact that Nikki and he have a human connection, and that's what leads to it, to to the further problems. Right, like, right. Nikki's got to escalate this in order to undercut what he's already done. Um, though also it's all like all all that leads to that human connection is, uh, Nikki says a lie to try and get himself into this parking lot, and the parking lot attendant says, "Oh, yeah, me too." Well, it's a, it, you mentioned like multiple levels of karma, and, and there is a sort of like a sort of a constant escalation of this. Like, well, everything that's tried to get him in there to get in there, sort of is actually it's it's expedient for the moment, but it's making things worse, right? Like, getting in there via like um, that sort of like that connection gets him in there, but causes the next problem, right? And then. The way right. he finally decides to get rid of the the parking attendant causes the next problem that eventually gets him killed, right? Like each right. each bad decision, and and it's sort of a metaphor for the entire plot, right? For the entire scheme, which is like right. 
yeah, like if you actually, if it were, you know, you're doing all these things and you're making all these compromises and doing like making these bad decisions that are in theory going to pay off for you, but are actually going to bite you in the ass at the end of the movie. Um, so it's quite good that, I mean, like it, it, it can be quite interesting that way to, to, to watch. It's, 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 it's very silly at times, but, um, you know, when you yeah. think about the like, for example, the way that, you know, like sort of the way that like all the, you know, in the end, every character is foisted by their own batard kind of situation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever the thing is that, you know, their the reasons for doing things and the, and their and their compromises they make are what kill them in the end. Um, now, mind you, most people just die in a hail of gunfire at the end of the movie, like at the in that in that yeah. apartment, which isn't necessarily them getting specifically killed by the things the sort of the specific compromises they've made. I actually found that scene very hard to follow. Um, that I I when Which we scene? Uh, the, the the shootout, it happens in such oh, a weird yeah. way that you're like, when you find out that George is the only one left alive, you're like, what? Wait, how? Where did? How did all of these people yeah. die? Like you're like, did George shoot them all? Like I, you're no. kind of like, I don't under. Like for yeah. me, like, I was like, I don't understand exactly how we went from everybody alive to everybody dead in yeah, such a weird amount of time. So Val. Val walks in with with a partner, seemingly, uh, and uh, uh, holds him up. George is in the other room. They hear George in the other room. Kill everybody with what seems to be an automatic shotgun somehow. Right. Uh, George has a pistol and shoots Val, but has taken a shot to the face. Right. He's got he's got, you know, uh shotgun shot in his face. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird because also I, I just don't believe that George has that ability. Right. It's uh, just but, I don't know. In, in the end for me what it ended up being like is like I could not understand the geography of that scene. And it felt like maybe yeah. when they were making the movie they also couldn't figure out how to make it work. So they just kind of like papered over it. We're like, uh, okay, now everybody's dead. Because like we can't really make this make sense in some ways, um, so because like I don't, it, yeah it's it just doesn't it just doesn't perfectly line up for me in a way that I is satisfactory. I'm able to ignore it, but like at the same time when it happened, I was like I don't understand what I'm seeing, frankly. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, and it's so fast, right? Well, I think that's part of what um, I mean, but I think that's what they're they're trying to do is like, well, we'll just make this incredibly fast. Sort of like if we go fast enough, no one will even have time to ask questions about it. Right. And presumably in the original novel, the reason George ends up killing Johnny is that uh Johnny's absconding with the money. Well, right? I George, mean, to my George mind, like, I, I think the movie even tries to start setting up that stuff, right? Like, George gets convinced yeah. that Johnny is having a relationship of some, in some, is like, yes. that's all the, that's all sort of the setup, right? And then we don't really run with that. And so, it to me, it sort of seems like, oh, like, I would have found George hunting down Johnny, like, a much more satisfactory ending. Um, uh, I think yeah. in the end, the problem is, is that that ending is 
complicated to follow the other rules, which is all the bad guys have to like either get arrested or go to jail. And George yeah. becomes more complicated to deal with if he's like now murdered uh, Johnny and got the money. Like now, well, now we got to figure out how we kill him or get him in jail or whatever. But like, I don't know. I I find that the the I find the ending you told me about with, yeah. where he kills Johnny to be far superior sounding to what actually happens. But that's just, I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know if other people would necessarily feel the same way, but, like, I was like, oh, that's that sounds so much better. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's at least less silly. But I don't know if the silliness of the ending here is actually a negative for me. No, I don't think it's a, uh, I, I'm saying if you wanted to, it to be a hard, like a hard-boiled noir, right? If you wanted to, like, leave it in the realm, it's sort of essentially sort of, initially proposes then yeah then that's a better more interesting ending this one is right. silly yeah which is in line with sort of where the movie goes at times but i would just say that the movie in general is a little disjointed in terms of like well sometimes it's silly and sometimes it's trying to be serious um yeah and so i i don't know i found you know you you i don't the ending is not per se like the kiss of death that makes the movie I unwatchable think, or something or bad or anything like that. It's just, right. it's so silly um, that it, it's, it, you have to kind of treat it almost as like, oh, this is the end of a comedy. Yeah. Uh, if, if this is a movie about the inexplicable, sickle nature of these guys' lives, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that instead of being killed in revenge for running off with the money or not helping George or a perceived uh, sexual liaison with George's wife. And instead, what thwarts Johnny and Val's happy ending is, or not Val, uh, what thwarts Johnny and Faye's happy ending is bureaucracy of the airport, uh, a weird old lady, and just the randomness of life. Right. Um, undermining things. I think that works because it is that randomness of life and uh, a moment where bureaucracy refuses to allow you to do a thing that just seems like a thing that should be able to be done. Uh-huh. Uh, or what destroys so many lives. That's right? true. That's People true. doing their job because it's the job they need to do. Uh, but bear in mind that the, but the problem random with th- that is that like and this is maybe like just weirdness on my part or something like he doesn't run up to the bureaucracy of something that's like, how do I explain this? Like, it's like, I feel in some ways it's the wrong bureaucracy for him to run up against. Yeah. Like he doesn't run up against like, like he does run up with the like weird sort of like corporate bureaucracy that, that is, it is like fundamentally to ruining lots of people's lives. It's more that like, um, like I can't help but be like, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's like, it's almost, but it's banal. But it's like banal in a like, well, yeah, you're you you. This luggage is too big. <laughs> like I don't know. Like in my mind, it's also yeah, your luggage is too big. Um, you're gonna make me mad if you sit next to me on the airplane. Um, but no, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I I think 
I think they're talking about two different circles, right? Because yeah. one, we're talking about like, oh, well, he's going to go back to jail because life is stupid and sucks and like your life gets ruined by like just the random functioning of society all the time. Whereas the other one is like sort of like the other one's a darker sort of version of the same thing in the sense that like Johnny would get killed by George because Johnny, no one in this universe is playing it straight with each other, not completely. And, and, and that's not necessarily their fault because it's harder to convey, but like in many ways that's the result of the system set up to pit all normal people against all other normal people. Right. Um, it's a darker circle that is harder to, is more easily obscured, right? Like it's, it's not as clear. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think like the suitcase, like the weird old lady is like almost, it'd be one thing if like, I think the I think the problem that ruin, that sort of makes the ending kind of annoying to me is not the fact that like the bureaucracy it's the fact that the weird old lady plus bureaucracy ruins it. The right. weird old lady is purely like comedic, purely like chance, right? Like him getting caught yeah. because they just straight up cannot fucking check this bag, and like getting caught because of that, I think is fine and reasonable. In, in sort of the in the way the story, but then it getting revealed not because like of other functionary bullshit, like oh the, these are all the rules and like you can't break the rules well, they'll, they'll ca- catch you. Well, it is kind of functionary bullshit though, right? Because she's a presumably rich weird old lady, right? Who's being allowed to do a thing she shouldn't be allowed to do. True, I mean she's while our working class guy, right, is not, not being allowed. Being allowed that, to you're do a you're thing. right about that. It, it, it's <sighs> just that like. It's an it's such a strange expression of that, like. Yeah. No, I agree that. Like it'd be a yeah. different thing if like he got his ticket bumped because some weird old lady who's a rich old lady like needed it, quote unquote, or something. You know what I mean? Like to yeah. show that power dynamic. Like in the end, like bringing the fucking dog onto the tarmac is just so strange. Yeah. And like it running out, like we all see it coming from a million miles away. But it's like not necessarily to me in a good way, right? Like me knowing that that's going to happen didn't make me like happy to know, you know, if that makes sense. Like I didn't like find that yeah. a pleasurable experience to be like, ah, yes, I'm aware of how this is going to end. And it's so interesting. It's more like I'm aware of how this is going to end and it seems dumb. <laughs> I, I know that's the yeah. only way I can like express it. It's just like I don't have any problems with like sort of the fundamental setup of it. It's that like. The execution is just so, so stupid. Like, there's a million yeah. things that could happen that would express the same fundamental right. concept I think, that aren't like think, as stupid as this one. I think the stupidness of them might be the point. I'm sure it is. With, I, I, with, with Johnny's reaction of what's the point being that all these little things conspire to keep Johnny where he's at, right? Well, it's it is that, and it, uh, but it's also like when you think about it, it's like we 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 have a kind of a subversion of like the mastermind sort of concept here, because you know these all these things are conspiring, but a lot of them are also like Johnny not Johnny's like really put together, but not as put together as he would actually need to be, right? Like Johnny should know that mm-hmm. parking lot's going to be closed, like 
you right. you just certain assumptions he makes certain assumptions without confirming them that are what are sort of the right. downfall right he makes an assumption about getting that money like yeah he was supposed to split that money but what was his plan because he was still going to have a lot of money when he like i mean i guess it's like one fifth of that money so it's not that much but also that doesn't seem like that much money at that point um I don't know it's just sort of like well one fifth of two million dollars in nineteen fifty six. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, like that doesn't look like two million dollars worth of money. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Um, not not if it's mostly in like small bills because it's like they're doing like small bets. It's right, it's a weirdly right, right. it's it's a lot for a suitcase, but it's too little for six people to be splitting. If that makes sense, it doesn't feel like. Every yeah. person's gonna walk away with like what was it? Like it's like six people. I can't do math in my head, so we're we're in bad trouble right now. But whatever two million split by six is, that in, in small bills, this doesn't feel like that. Um Well, I think it's actually isn't four actually in the conspiracy though? I don't know. Well, I mean, so that's more. That's what I'm saying, the, is that like the, it doesn't it doesn't feel like yeah, each person would wrestler, be walking away with fifty thousand dollars. The wrestler and Nikki aren't part of it right yeah that's true uh, which but that would mean everybody's if if it is actually two million that means everybody's walking away with five hundred thousand dollars which is a heck of yeah a lot and 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 uh, in, again in most likely small bills it should just take up more space than that yeah okay so like but right, i think right. no no i i agree there yes and so my my um, problem was is like what was his plan in the first place to even fucking get that money away right like my my point is that like Johnny's put together, but not as put together as he actually. He he gives off an air of confidence that is like outmatch undeserved. Yeah, he yeah exactly. He he's yeah. he's tech broing his way through this. Is what I'm saying. Uh, he he's, <laughs> a he's making bit, yeah. he's making a lot yeah. of like very broad sort of assumptions about his own ability that necessarily aren't necessarily paying off. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's right, just right, right, it's right. just yeah. I, I don't know. It, I suppose. Go ahead. If if Sherry and Val hadn't uh, had it conspired to steal the money, uh, I guess we would have had like an hour of the final film of them just counting it and distributing it, and then trying to figure out how to carry it out of that out of that room that they were meeting. In. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, there there is a different version of the story where like something else happens. Like you know, that's part and parcel of yeah, the of whole course, of course of this kind of yeah. movie. Right? Is is it can't actually it go right? But it's just. Right? It's very silly thinking about what the actual plan was with that money. Right. Well, that's given, what I'm saying. Is it like it, it is how it physically exists in the world? Right. right. Now. It, it, yeah. it is a silly idea, and like it shows, and we as the as we as the audience are. I mean, the movie eventually makes it front front and foremost for us. Right when we get to the suitcase. Right. But like we've already supposed to, I right. think, been thinking to a certain extent about the idea of like, oh, like this is like a kind of unwieldy amount of like small bills to just be like walking around with um and so you know like everybody's their plan seems to essentially stop at the door right and that's that's interesting that whole thing is interesting and i think is meant to be kind of a thing that engages us as as a as an audience um it's just that we run into a problem when like that's why i mean like there's so many other like hiccups that it the hiccup being a thing that like is essentially the cruel hand of fate rather than their incompetence seems like, I feel like almost purposely subversive, but not necessarily a thing that I enjoy as a plot line point. Yeah. 
Yeah, obviously, I I mentioned big deal on Madonna Street already, but obviously, if they were more incompetent and incompetence was played up, uh, this would make sense as a comedy, right? Right. That's what I'm saying. Is like it's is it, 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 it's constantly vacillating between comedy and not comedy. Um, yeah, which isn't necessarily either a bad thing, but it's like I don't know that it sticks its landing, and that and that is what I'm saying. Like it it wants to do this oscillation. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, it was, it's not bad. You didn't do like a terrible job, but I don't know that you really like landed it if we're being totally right, honest. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, of the two fo- movies we watched, only one had an axe fight in a mannequin factory. That's what I'm saying. And, uh, is that like, oh, if I'm being brutally honest, Killer's Kiss is a more interesting movie for me. It's not story wise yeah. interesting, but like, it's no, short as hell. All. And and the set pieces are really engaging, like a lot of interesting things going on. In it. Yeah, like and and if you if yeah. you ask Whereas, me to watch a noir, both of them are shitty noirs. In in the end, they're both yeah. essentially not great noirs. If you're asking me to watch a not great right. noir, I want I expect that my reward is you're going to like fucking make it extremely noir and extremely fucking weird. Yeah. And I'm not getting that with with um, the killing. I'm getting pretty boilerplate in many ways. Yeah, I think the structure is a plus for the killing. I, think I do. That, I agree that, with that. Yes, I think so. Yeah, watching each character go through their whole day. I I uh, always like a movie that works that way. I yeah will never not like. It. It's, I find that I always find that very engaging. Yeah, and you know this is early for that sort of thing, right? right? You know. There's a reason that a test audience didn't react kindly to right, it. Where right, where a test audience was like, what the yeah. fuck are you doing? Instead of like, oh, I know this trick. Like, Yeah. 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 Um, so United Artists did put this movie out, but they put it out as, uh, as a replacement on a double feature for a movie that was actively bombing. Okay. Uh, so, so the killing... Goes into theaters in New York with absolutely no fanfare whatsoever. Okay. Uh, uh, Harris jokes that they had to put down speed bumps to keep people from leaving the theater uh, faster. Um, It does, however, have a really great critical response. So I find uh, it interesting that people so, were like actively like leaving the movie because I don't think it's terrible. Like if you if this just showed up after I'd already like essentially picked my bought my ticket and I'm like, well, I mean, I guess if you were actively going to go, I don't understand what replacement means in this capacity in the sense that like you signed up, you you already clearly bought a ticket to a double feature. Like you're gonna leave? I don't, <laughs> I don't get yeah. it. But okay. Yeah. Uh at the time um the reviewer for Time really loved it. Uh-huh. Oh, uh predicting that it would make a killing at cash booths. Oh uh-huh. god. Um, Simply terrible. But also, I think accurately even saying that uh, Kubrick has shown more audacity with dialogue and camera than Hollywood has seen since the obstreperous Orson Welles went riding out of town on an exhibitor's pole. Um, you know, yeah, comparing this as something in line with the early work of Orson Welles. Uh, yeah. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would, and also, yeah. obstreperous, uh, I suppose, uh, means hard to control. So <laughs> comparing comparing Kubrick and what Kubrick would be become to Orson Welles, also famously hard to uh, hard to control, uh, is fairly prescient. Um, the New York Times liked it. Uh, though said it's composed of familiar ingredients and calls for further explanations, uh, but uh, thinks it's an engrossing little adventure. Hmm. At least in Wikipedia quotes, and they usually have one if it exists, uh, there doesn't seem to be anyone who reviewed it at the time it came out that didn't like it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can see it. I'd be like, but, it, if you just like, if you ask me like, Barring like me, like trying to make reference, you know, kind of observations about how it relates to like Kubrick otherwise or other things like that. If you just like, hey, was this a decent enough noir? I would be like, yeah, yeah. Like, would you enjoy watching yeah. it? Probably. Yeah. Like, you know, if you were going to like right. somebody's like, will I enjoy this? Probably. Yes. Yeah. Um, an executive MGM was impressed enough with this movie that uh, he hired Kubrick and Harris to make Paths of Glory. Right. Uh, so uh, it, it did good for his career. Uh, but yeah, it was... I don't know that it lost money, but it was not... Uh, seemingly did not find an audience in its time. Right. I, I, uh, I find the way all that stuff works is... It's always been very fascinating to me too, because like, oh yeah, the movie didn't necessarily do very well in the box offices, but like somebody, people still got careers off of it is a really fascinating thing. Yeah. That like, oh, we don't live in that world anymore. Um, right. Right. That, 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 that doesn't exist anymore. But like the idea that you could just be like, well, yeah, I mean like we know that the movie didn't, wasn't necessarily successful, but we as a, as a gr- organization thought like this shows potential or something. It's a very strange thing in the world we live in now to think about one other just uh uh flotsam and jetsam here uh killer's kiss made mm-hmm. just the year before this uh-huh. um kubrick was on welfare when he made killer's kiss okay uh so that's a just a discussion about the idea of like person. how how sort of the state relates to the ability to like make art as a yeah like you know like oh if there wasn't a, a some sort of functional welfare state x y and z would never yeah. have been made kind of thing right yeah like and right and kubrick is apparently one of those people uh add him to the list of right of, a, a uh, very long and very only... like a very yeah. very significant list <laughs> um yeah but a list that now no longer continue can really continue to be added to in many ways, right? Right. We've removed like, the ability uh, like for how that Carl list. Reiner, yeah. how Carl Reiner got into comedy by taking oh, a right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Works I remember Progress that. Administration yeah. course on comedy. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely insane. That uh, occasionally the U.S. government's welfare programs uh, produce something we could not ever imagine it producing. Right. Uh, and that's why this stuff needs to exist. Uh, but also, even even if even if welfare never produced a Stanley Kubrick, welfare still Right, exists. yeah, no, it's just, it's just, a, it's a, well, but, I mean, we, you know, 
artists talk about it all the time, but like the idea that like yeah. it's a fun fundamentally sort of um unreliable world to be in and like having a state that yeah. like fun that takes care of people when they're trying to get into it right. or something like that. It it, it obviously yes, you know, a, a functional welfare like system is essential for many 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 Phew. people, but um do you know what else a functional welfare system would keep from happening? Uh, horse race heists that end up with well, that's murdered. that's what we I was kind of trying to get into uh, at the very beginning. Like, and the movie has yeah. is too much stuff to just make that the focus of the conversation. But yeah, fundamentally, right. half the people involved in that just needed a functional welfare state, like needed right. needed things to just work the way a functional society should work. It's like, well, my wife is very very sick, and that's all the money we have goes to that. It's like, well, right, yeah, but like you shouldn't have to spend all of your money to the point of bankruptcy to keep your sick wife from dying. Like that doesn't as a society make any fucking sense. Like having things work that way is, I mean, it's just plain stupid. There's no other way to put it. And so the movie in many ways becomes a sort of commentary on that, even if it doesn't. And I don't think it doesn't. I don't think it doesn't not want to be. Wait, that was a weird sentence. Um, yeah, I think the movie goes out of its way to make sure that you, the that half the people participating in this heist are extremely sympathetic. Listen, even even whatever is going on with Nikki with Timothy Carey. Yeah, we have no idea. But that's the thing is he's I, left I a think, mystery. It's, I think there's yeah, I think there is commentary to point out that uh, well, actually we do get something. He is he is he is a vet with problems. Well, actually we do get uh, do. something because. Johnny asks him how the farm or whatever he's doing right now is going, and he's like, "Not yeah. very well." Like, Nikki yeah. is having right. seemingly having a hard time. Like, is doing his passion project and having a hard time, seemingly having a hard time getting yeah. it off the ground or like working properly. And again, that's just another like, oh, the state can just that doesn't need to be a problem, right? Like, you don't need to do. You don't need to shoot a horse. I think right. that clearly you and, don't really want to do. Yeah, actually, at the at the risk of elongating this episode way too long. Yes, the already a very um, long episode can become longer. Yeah, I think that the popularity of heist films post World War II is a direct result of uh, uh, a society that has not taken care of veterans in the way that they need to be taken mm-hmm. care of and has not not uh, reintegrated uh, soldiers into the world. Uh, well, and I think and it probably, and I that's, think that's true. It definitely does apply to soldiers specifically, but it's it's a, I think it's a, a sign that like, yeah, we have, like the world is telling people one thing while their, their lived experiences are probably different than what they're being told. Like you're being told this is a very, very prosperous time and everybody's getting rich and everything's going really well. Like things are better than they've ever been. And like for a lot of people that does seem to be functionally true, but like there are people who are left out, right? Like who are not part of that. And I think that that, that like that contradiction produces art that where people, there's you have to talk about and the I people think, who don't get included. Yeah, and I think Nikki's the only one in this movie that approaches that. But many of those problems are PTSD problems, right? right? People not getting proper mental health care post-war. Uh, 
No. And the best mental health care is to not send poor people across the country, uh, across the ocean uh, right. to and, people. And one has to but, wonder, like, well, uh, how does Johnny know Nikki? The, we, are, we are left with an idea right. that perhaps Johnny is also a veteran. And so, right. like... In, yeah. In so many... In so many other heist films, uh, Ocean, the original Ocean is Eleven among them, um, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh boy, don't ask uh, me. I do not remember the, the characters original are all, Ocean's Eleven very The characters well. are all explicitly, explicitly veterans, and sometimes part of the same unit. Right. Right. I think that's um, yes. I think that's, I think that's true, but I cannot tell you for certain because <laughs> I don't remember. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's it's. The crime is a way to maintain that regimentality that uh right well and and again, sort kept... of a thing that in theory you were you were already sort of trained for, right like not necessarily a specifically a heist, right. but like the idea that like oh you were you've been indoctrinated into a, a regimented highly organized structure, and then they put you into right. like normal life and say, "Hey, fucking figure it out, like good luck." Right, right, right. Hope you hope your and, main goal yeah. is to have and a mediocre also, job in a house because, like, that's what we've got for you. Right. And do your best to forget all that stuff you saw. Yeah, like you probably did some uh, bad stuff that you regret or don't necessarily feel good about. Please try to forget that. Right. Yes. So, so yeah, I think obviously we have we have talked in the past about. Uh, U.S. films not, particularly not being willing to engage with those ideas right. as openly, uh, particularly particularly as we move into the 50s with the uh, with the House on American Activities Committee, uh, because all of that is shown uh, to to even make suggestions like that is to come off as communist and anti-American. So you're going to get yourself blacklisted. Um, so I'm not surprised that Kubrick does not explore that more here. Right. Um, well, so what you end up is, as I you as is. you suggested, you end up with something like where it's like, well, we'll just hint at these things rather than right, yeah, than really deeply engage with them. Yeah, yeah. And Hayden, uh, Sterling Hayden, who plays Johnny, um, I mentioned this before we recorded, but uh, he is someone who uh, testified uh, to the House on American Activities and came to regret it. Um. And I mean, given the timing on that, his inclusion in this movie uh, only happens because his career wasn't ruined for refusing to name names. Right. Interestingly enough, James Edwards, who plays the parking the parking attendant, rather famously, it is suggested, though no one's uh, no one's in a position to outright say that uh, he did not end up in the movie Red Ball Express in 1952 because he refused to testify. And instead, Sidney Poitier was cast in the role that he was meant to play, which was one of the first roles that led to Sidney Poitier's career. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't know enough about James Edwards' career to know whether or not that's... uh, Right, you know, he's a blank spot for me. He's not as household a name as Sidney Poitier is to me, but that doesn't mean he isn't to someone else, right? Right. Um, but uh, but yeah. So anyway, um, I just think it's it's it is interesting that there is a a uh, large amount of heist movies in the fifties, uh, and that um, 
exploring the reasons for that uh, could be a dissertation, right? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> this, this, this trying to uh, steal into the post-war uh, boom that you keep hearing about, uh, but you are yourself are cut out of for whatever reason, uh, and that reason being PTSD in many true life examples. Right, right. right. Uh, so yeah, anyway. Uh, all that to say, uh, <laughs> Killer's Kiss plotline, plot-wise, acting-wise, incredibly boring, uh, visually, and uh, it's mannequin fight sequence. Yeah, I mean, a mannequin axe exciting. fight is just like, I, yeah. I, I, um, it's just somebody created a, yeah. a dream of mine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas the killing, uh, plot-wise, much more interesting, um, visual-wise, relatively less so. I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty. With complete control. But it's not insane. Yeah, it's still a pretty movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is it, there's a difference there, <laughs> right, that is important, right? I think, I think just on top of Killer's Kiss being shot gorilla so often, like, they didn't have a dolly. They just sat in the back of a pickup. Right. Truck. You. Yeah. There's uh, a. There's a. Know. There's a gritty grunginess to Killer's Kiss that is like. Yeah. You could feel it. Right. You're like, right. oh, this is. This is not clean. <laughs> yeah, that's like you know early French New Wave where we're talking about using a right, shopping which, cart. Right. Which yeah, or a, like as much as I complain, a wheelchair or, as, dolly, right, as much as right. I complain yeah. is actually an aesthetic that can be extremely uh, yeah. enjoyable to see. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And to to under those circumstances get something that looks as beautiful as Killer's Kiss looks right. is amazing. Uh, yeah. Um, and it whatever else the killing has going on for it, I do think Killer's Kiss is a more visually impressive. Yeah, movie. it just it just feels uh, more exciting. It's just there's no yeah. way to get around it. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I I will also say Colaquariani's uh, fight sequence in The Killing is one of its more interesting things. Right, right. But and that's just um, like a fundamentally goofy fight scene. I mean, it's fun. I like it. Right, but like, right. it is a goofy yeah. one. Whereas like The Killer's Kiss is yeah. goofy. It's, actually, if you sit and think about it for more than about five seconds, but right. like in practice, it's just exciting to watch a person fight with a mannequin yeah. arm in a in a mannequin factory. Yeah. Maybe it is just where my brain is right now, but the goofy parts of the killing are the ones I really loved. Uh, so, right. okay, and that that for me includes the entire airport sequence. Right. But <laughs> I know you're less impressed with. I it. again, uh, we anyway. we tried to explain her. I tried to explain my my position on it. It's not that I yeah, think it is a bad did. idea. It's just not all that. I don't know. I I think it's a very silly choice that didn't necessarily need to happen that's true that's true uh anyway this week we've been talking about the killing from 1956 directed by stanley kubrick and his film from the year earlier killer's kiss from 1955 uh both put out by united artists next week we're being jumping decades into the future uh and around the world with secret sunshine uh from 2007 um directed by lee chang dong from south korea always happy to see something Southeast Asian from the Criterion Collection just because even even up to this point we don't have a lot of it. Right. So uh and to see something yeah. 
is is always fun. Uh, so look forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always Liam Glass. With me as always John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. been listening to Lost in Criterion with co-hosts Lee Adam Glass and John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. With the collapse of Twitter, who knows what social media we might end up at. How about Blue Sky? That sounds great. Check out the official podcast account at lostincriterion.bsky.social. Jonathan Hape does our music, and you can check out more of his work at jonathan-hape.com or on any music streaming service. And you probably should. He's pretty good. A big thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. You can join their ranks at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. And hey, thank you for listening.